0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to this podcast where we study the Bible and things related to the Bible. I'm recording this in Nashville. It's a beautiful day, very sunny. I took a long walk. I'm doing my laundry today. It's laundry day for me, and that's going upstairs, but I've come down to the little closet that I use when I record my podcasts. There's just the exact size closet that I need for a little recording studio and I eventually want to make it into a recording booth with some of the equipment that will help us do this a little bit better. But I have been all this week in an actual recording studio on Music Row. I remember when I was a little boy I'd go to bed with my transistor radio, pull the aerial out and I would see if I could get Nashville WSM the Clear Channel station with country music, and they would talk about Music Row in Nashville and the recording studios, and I never dreamed that I myself would be recording in a studio on Music Row in Nashville, but of course I'm not recording music. I was recording the audio version of the 50 final events in world history, which is a study of the Bible's last words on Earth's final days. That is, it's a study of the book of Revelation. As I read through the material in this book, I thought again of how wonderful it is that the Lord has given us such insights into our own and coming days, and I hope that you will read or listen to The 50 Final Events in World History. It should be out in April of 2022, both audio and in print form, as well as in electronic book form, so check that out wherever you get your books. Well, today I want to spend a little bit of time in John chapter 8. And I'm going to read an extended portion, more than I would usually read of Scripture, but I think that it's important, and then we will draw some lessons from it. Everything in this passage has to do with who Jesus is. I remember one morning a few years ago that I got up and took a shower and I just pulled on a pair of jeans and I walked through the house to get something for some reason. And there, to my astonishment, I came face to face with a woman I didn't know standing in my living room. I'd never seen her before. She was just there alone. I stood frozen for a moment and she looked at me and I looked at her. And finally, I asked the only three words that I knew, who are you? Well, it turned out to be just fine. She was meeting one of my grandchildren, who had spent the night at my house, had welcomed her into my home, and then had rushed off to get something, leaving her standing there. And so all was well that ended well. But I've never forgotten how startled I was to see her, and I haven't forgotten asking that question, who are you? One day Jesus Christ showed up in Galilee doing things no one else had ever done, and saying things no one else had ever said. And that's the question that was on everyone's lips. Who are you? And then that question evolved. So, if you're where you can open your Bible, then turn with me to John chapter 8 and verse 25. John chapter 8, verse 25. Now, if you're on your elliptical machine, you can look at this later, but John eight twenty five. they say to Jesus, Who are you? And notice how this curiosity turns to cynicism down in verse 53. They ask him, Who do you think you are? Those are the two questions in verse 25 and verse 53. They ask of Jesus, Who are you? and who do you think you are? For 2000 years, those questions have been at the very core of philosophy, religion, and human history. And that's the subject of John chapter eight. So I want to read this passage to you. It's really made up of three short sermons or discourses that Jesus gave. And you can see as we read through them, or as you listen to me read through them, the growing hostility that is developing towards him towards the people to whom he was speaking. So I'm going to begin reading here in John chapter 8 and verse 12. The Lord's first message says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they ask him, Who is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings are put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now the next verse has his second brief message in this chapter, beginning with verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Why is it that he says, where I go you cannot come? Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they ask. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell to the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father, so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed on him. Now, here is the third message, beginning in chapter 8 and verse 31. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that you will set us free?" Jesus replied, "'Very truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin.' Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, and yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, say Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. And yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? You are not yet fifty years old they said to him and you have seen abraham very truly i tell you jesus answered before abraham was born i am at this they picked up stones to stone him but jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds well we've just read the bulk of john chapter 8. I can't deal with it verse by verse or section by section, but I do want to show you several aspects of Christ that are woven like very bright colors and cords in and out of the fabric of this passage. And the first has to do with our Lord's divine nature, His eternality, or His divinity. The term eternality means that he is eternal. And the word divine comes from a Latin word meaning God. Jesus claimed in this passage to have been eternal, which implies that he was nothing less than almighty God himself. He was divine, he was deity. Now this is implied several times in these three discourses. Jesus began and ended all three of these sermons, for example, with I am statements. For example, in verse 12, he began at the very beginning of what we read by saying, I am the light of the world. And he ended in verse 58 by saying, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, I am was the great Old Testament name for God, the personal name in the Hebrew Jehovah or more accurately, Yahweh. And by using this title, I am, Jesus was claiming To be the eternal, self-existent, uncaused God. So look at verse 14, Jesus said, I know where I came from and where I am going, indicating that he wasn't just born in Bethlehem and he wasn't just going to end his life in Jerusalem. He came from somewhere and he was going somewhere. And in verse 23, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world." And verse 38, "...I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence." And verse 42, "...I have come here from God." We have this kind of language throughout the Gospel of John, starting with the preamble of the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus claimed to have existed before His conception and birth, and He spoke of eternal life. He was comparing himself with what Moses said about Almighty God in Psalm 90. He is from everlasting to everlasting. It boggles our minds to contemplate. But the truth is that Jesus, the deity of the God the Son, the eternal God the Son, a part of the Godhead, that that Jesus in his divine nature had no beginning, he will have no end, And it's like the hymnist said, of the Father's love begotten ere the worlds begin to be, He is Alpha and Omega, He the Source, the Ending, He of the things that are, that have been, and evermore will be. Now that understanding that Jesus Christ is God Himself pierces church history like a needle and thread and goes all the way back to the pages of the Bible itself. But now, there is a fascinating passage here about how though Jesus is God and he is eternal, yet he made appearances in the Old Testament. Look again at verses 56 and 57 and 58. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. They said, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I existed. He saw my day. He saw me. And so these verses tell us that Abraham, according to our Lord's testimony here, saw Jesus, and I think he saw him a number of times, because the language in the book of Genesis implies that God met with Abraham personally in the form of a man and talked to him, and that that occurred repeatedly. Now, I didn't fully understand this until somewhat recently, but I believe that when God spoke to Abraham, he came down in the form of a man and spoke to him. For example, look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Now the word appeared is a visual word. It implies that God literally appeared to Abraham like a person meeting with another person. And Genesis 17 and verse one says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. And then look at verse 22, uh, Genesis 17, 22. When he, God had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. This is the language of a visual experience. God appeared to Abraham, spoke to him, and then went up from him. And then look at Genesis 18. This is the clearest example of all. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham, the same kind of terminology, near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Well, we don't have time to go into the text, but you'll discover if you'll read it carefully that two of these men were actually angels appearing in the form of men, and the third was God himself, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, in the form or in the appearance of a man. And they shared a meal with Abraham, and they talked with him. Now, the Bible says no one has ever seen God the Father. He is invisible. And so most biblical scholars will tell you that these were pre-Bethlehem appearances of God the Son. In those Old Testament days, Jesus was not truly a man. He wasn't truly, in other words, a human being, but he manifested his presence in the form of a man. And so that's why Jesus said, Abraham saw my day, uh, and he was glad. And the skeptics said, are you claiming to have seen Abraham? He lived 2,000 years ago, and you're not even 50 years old. But Jesus said, I was there. I, Abraham saw me. He was glad. Before he was born, I existed. So sometimes Jesus would show up in the Old Testament in the appearance of a human being, but he was not human. He only had one nature. He had a divine nature. He was God, but he manifested himself temporarily in the appearance of a man, or he projected the image of a man in order to communicate to people like Abraham. But all of that changed at the beginning of the Gospel era, when the Holy Spirit came over the Virgin Mary, and she conceived through a miraculous virginal conception, and the eternal God, the Son, Jesus Christ, at the moment of his conception and through the miracle of his birth. At that moment, he became fully human. He assumed a human nature along with his divine nature. And this is the single most important moment. This is the most extreme innovation. This is the greatest transformation or transmutation to ever occur in any way at any time in human history. Before this moment, God the Son occasionally appeared as a human being, but at the miraculous conception and with his virgin birth, he actually became a human being. He assumed a dual nature, being both God and man. Jesus became human. In order to die for the sake of the human race, God cannot die, but a human can die, and Jesus was lifted up on the cross buried in the tomb and resurrected on the third day, he was able to offer himself as a sinless sacrifice for sins because he embraced a human nature alongside his divine nature. Now, when we see him in the book of Revelation, he is ruling and reigning in his resurrected, glorified body, which tells us the twofold nature of Christ was not a temporary change. From the moment of his conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, an eternal change took place in Jesus, and forever and forever he will be both divine and human, both God and man. In other words, when you see Jesus in heaven, he will still be in his glorified, resurrected human body. There is nothing at all in the scripture to tell us that he is going to retire his humanity from the moment of his conception, onward throughout eternity, so far as we can tell in Scripture, he is forever both God and man. Now, let's add another important detail. I mentioned it a moment ago, but let me focus in on it. Though Jesus was human as we are, yet there was a vital difference between him and us. He was sinless, as he points out here in chapter 8. So look at verse 28 of John 8. Jesus said, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. I never disappoint him. I am absolutely, consistently perfect in pleasing the demands of my heavenly Father. And in verse 46, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? It was his sinlessness that made it possible for him to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that brings us to our final point, our Lord's ministry of redemption, his mission, why he came to earth and to con this dual nature of being both God and man. Five times in this passage, Jesus claimed he had been sent, sent to earth by God the Father. Verse 16, I stand with the Father who sent me. Verse 18, my other witness is the Father who sent me. Verse 26, he who sent me is trustworthy. Verse 29, the one who sent me is with me. And verse 42, I have not come on my own. God sent me. Jesus was here on a divine mission. As he said in verse 28, he came to be lifted up, lifted up on the cross where he could share his blood for the sins of all of us. So let's finish our study here with the two different reactions that we see to what Jesus, this dramatic information he is giving to those who place their faith in him. There is forgiveness and eternal life. He said in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the right to life. If we walk in the light, we have not only the light, but the right to eternal life. But verse 24 says, I told, them, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. How wonderful is the first option? How terrible is the second? Think about this. If you do not believe, if you don't place your faith in me, if you don't rest your hope in me, if you don't accept me for what I am saying and for who I am, You will die, and you will die in your sin. So the question is, which will it be for you? A stranger has popped into your life, and you have a simple question. Who are you? And his answer is, I am God. I am eternal. I showed up from time to time in the Old Testament in the form of a man. Abraham even saw me. But at Bethlehem, I actually became a man fully human and fully God, and I am sinless, and I was sent to save you from your sins and to give you eternal life so that no one will ever have to die in their sins. This is why it's so very important for us to come to Christ not on the basis of trying to live a good life or on our merits or on our vague hopes of somehow getting to heaven, but on the actual historical and theological reality of who Jesus is, the God-man, and what he did when he died and rose again and made it available for us to walk in light and to have eternal life because of who he is, what he did, and his being both God and man. He said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, if you're listening to this and you aren't certain about your own personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, give yourself to Him in simple faith believing. Say, Lord, I don't understand everything about it, and this is miraculous information that I've just heard, that there is one who is both... God and human, fully God, truly God, fully human, truly human, and who was such in order to die for me, and he rose to give me light and life and eternity. Then trust him, and you'll be saying with me in the words of a wonderful old gospel song, Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Well, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and for a survey, taking this survey course with me of John chapter 8. And I hope that you will circle back around to my website, robertjmorgan.com, or to wherever you buy your books and check out the book coming out soon, The 50 Final Events in World History. Well, this podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. Audio editing is done by Courtney Warner. Music is by Elijah Rowe. A written version of this podcast is posted at my blog at robertjmorgan.com with the help of Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. And thank you for listening. May the Lord be with you and bless you. Until we meet again.